Well, tonight, as Pastor Tim has already mentioned, we're going to continue on with the uh, theme of disciples making disciples in everyday life uh, for our local evangelism month. And uh, I get the uh, privilege, if you will, of sharing with you how now shall we live if uh, we are to be disciples. Uh, all the things that you've heard so far or learned so far about discipleship or disciple making or being a disciple, how should we live then with those things in which you've heard or the things in which you've learned? So I want to share with you uh, a very good question, a number of questions, but I want to start off with a very good question. Does it really matter, if, if we are to make disciples, does it really matter how we live in our world today as far as making disciples? Does it really make a difference? Does it really have any impact? Well, the answer is certainly uh, yes. Yes, it does. And uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 4, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So does it matter how we live our lives? Does it, it certainly does, as Christians. Would you say amen to that? Does it matter how we live our lives as far as discipleship or as far as making disciples? Does that matter? Yes, it does. And the reason why it matters is we've been raised with Christ. We need to set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things here on this earth. Our life is hidden in, with Christ in God. That's who we are. That's why our lives should be different. There, that's why it does make a difference how we live today. Well, if we've been raised with Christ, and if our life is hidden with Christ in God, therefore, if that's true, we should seek and set our minds on things that are above where Christ is. And those things are in what the Word of God tells us. Uh, our old self has died. We have to understand that. We have to truly believe that. And our new life is with the kingdom above. So absolutely, how we live our lives matters. And how we live our life as far as disciple-making or discipleship is concerned matters as well. But what's that look like? What's that look like? How are we supposed to do this? When we live in, one, when we live in a world where we have one foot in, in the world and one foot in the things of God. What, what's that look like? What's this look like when it comes to discipleship in the gospel? Because we still have to live here on this earth, correct? You do. Okay. Some of you may think you're not. Ooh, that's a little, little weird. But all of, us, all of us have to live here on this earth. And yet all of us who know Christ as our personal Savior are citizens of whose kingdom? God's kingdom. And so how would that look like to, uh, uh, to, to, to live our lives in such a way uh, that discipleship matters? Let me ask you another question. What is the ultimate goal of discipleship? Have you ever thought about that? The ultimate goal of discipleship is reproduction. We need to reproduce. That's what happens in discipleship. Reproduction is important to God. He mentions it often in Scripture. You can find that theme, if you will, throughout all of Scripture, way back into the first chapter of, of Genesis. What does he tell us about Adam and Eve? You don't know? 
Good, because I'm going to read it to you. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Isn't it interesting that God didn't say, learn, work, enjoy things? He doesn't even say worship here. He says, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. He simply commanded them to do one thing. And you know what that one thing was? To reproduce, to multiply. And Adam and Eve, were, they, were, they were supposed to start a baby boom, if you will. They were to have children, and, and that this baby boom would fill the earth with, with children, sons and, and daughters, bearing God's image. That's what he commanded them to do. Which you know, and I know, we know what happened in chapter 3 of Genesis. They disobeyed another command of God's, and sin was brought into the world. But you know what? Even though this happened, nevertheless, God didn't retract his first command. He didn't say, you know that multiplying thing and fill the earth? Forget that. Sin has ruined all of that now. Just forget it. He doesn't say that. In fact, Adam and Eve went to work. And they were and, and, and worked multiplying and filling the earth. Unfortunately, sin multiplied also. So God sends a flood to destroy the earth and everyone except Noah and his family. And what was the first thing God says to Noah when the water dried up? Genesis chapter 9, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You see, one of the greatest privileges, I don't think we always think this way, and one, probably one of the most exciting things or mysteries is found in that word reproduce. Whether, you, whether, you're, re, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're educated or uneducated, whether you're famous or not so famous, whatever, whatever you're, you're at in life, God has given us a command and the power to reproduce with him. Now, all this time in the Old Testament, we're talking about physical reproduction, okay? We're talking about physically reproducing. And uh, we know that's not always possible with everyone. Uh, there are some barriers in the way. First of all, you have to have a partner, one that you're married to, by the way. And uh, sometimes reproduction is just not possible physically or uh, with a disease or something, and sometimes you're just not old enough to reproduce, okay, physically. But when we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you see God's command to reproduce hasn't been changed, hasn't, re hasn't been rescinded. The emphasis has been changed, but the command to reproduce is still there. You see, the New Testament's not dealing with physical reproduction, but it's dealing with spiritual reproduction. We're to reproduce after our own kind spiritually. Isn't that true? After our own kind spiritually. We're not, we're not to reproduce something else. We're to reproduce spiritually after our own kind. There's no better way, or in fact, there's no other way to do that than through discipleship, than being a disciple and discipling someone else. So from the very beginning, in the New Testament, Jesus emphasized his disciples' reproduction. In Matthew chapter 
uh, 4, he, uh, Jesus tells his disciples, though they were walking by, or Jesus, while he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, the Bible tells us, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew's brother, and casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishes of men. In Luke, Jesus tells Peter this. He says, from now on, you will be catching men. Things are, think that, 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 Jesus' emphasis was on catching men, reproducing men. So, one of Jesus' major goals was to reproduce his life in the disciples. Would you agree with that? Then, what would he do? He would reproduce his life in the disciples, then train those 12 men to catch other men, who would in turn reproduce themselves spiritually in the lives of other men, who would then begin reproducing still more disciples, and on, and on, and on. That's the plan. Now listen. Jesus doesn't change that emphasis his whole time here on earth. He doesn't change it at all. Toward the end of his earthly ministry, just before he, his ascension, he gives us what we call the Great Commission uh, to his disciples and very familiar passage of Scripture. All of you probably know it by heart. Matthew chapter 28, verse uh, 19, 20 says, while, while walking, or I'm sorry, he, verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's something I found very interesting as I was studying for this. If you, if you were to look at the Greek tense of these verses here, it makes, even, it, makes it even more plain of what he's trying to say here as far as reproducing. The words go and the word baptizing and the word teaching are all part of, are all are participles. Uh, they get their, their main meaning from one verb or one controlling verb, and that is the term make disciples. So you know what he's saying here? You are to go make disciples. You are to be baptizing disciples. You are to be teaching disciples. It all goes back to that. You're to reproduce in that manner. Make disciples. Reproduce. Jesus tells us the same thing that God said in Genesis chapter 1, if you look at it this way. Only this time, the emphasis was on a spiritual reproduction, not a physical reproduction. Be fruitful, multiply, and, and, and let the process continue until the whole earth is filled with my disciples. That's what he's saying. That's what we're to do. So does it make a difference in how we live? Does it make a difference in how we live our lives as far as discipleship is concerned? Absolutely. We're supposed to be reproducing through the gospel. You know, our mission isn't simply just to oh, tell others about Christ and, and then stop and gather up our stuff and go home. That's not, that's not what making disciples is all about. That's not where we stop. We're to lead others to the Savior and then nurture and them to maturity so that they can, so they can in turn multiply and more disciples and do the same thing all through the same process. Help them do that, then they help others do that, then those others help others do that. That's the process. That's reproducing. That's what we're to do. It makes a difference. 
how we live our life. Discipleship is, is something we're commanded to do. Now, throughout the years, we've had in Christianity a number of, oh, what do I want to say, processes, programs, uh, whatever you want to call it, on how to reproduce, how to make disciples. Uh, sometimes it's been like a 12-step program. Other times it's just, it's like, uh, well, I talked to him for a couple hours. I, I got that done. That's, I can check that off my discipleship list. Other times it's, it's pouring more than what you really have into someone else's life and the other person can't get away from you quick enough. Uh, that happens. Uh, we've, we've had all kinds of ways to go about it. We've had all kinds of ways to, or thought of all kinds of ways in which we assume is the correct way. I don't know, and we've talked about this a lot as leaders of the church, and I don't know if there's actually one specific correct way to disciple or be a disciple or, dis or, or have a discipleship in period, but I know that we're supposed to do it. That we are to do. We are to reproduce. And if you're not doing that, and then you need to talk to the Lord about it. Because we are to reproduce. That I am sure of. So, can this really be done? Does it really make a difference in life? Can there, can there really be a change in our society and our world today? Well, yes, it can be done. We have an example in Scripture. In fact, the whole book of Acts uh, describes uh, the fruitful ministry of Christ's disciples. From the, from the big, if you want to call it discipleship, boom uh, on the day of Pentecost where thousands were saved and come to know the Lord and from there the new disciples just kept multiplying on and on and on and on and their purpose was to fill the earth with disciples. So how can we do that today? What are the steps necessary? What are the, what are the principles, if there are any, that, that we should be aware of to help us live and accomplish Jesus' command here of reproducing or being disciples. Well, I'm going to take a look at some of them. So are you, because you're sitting here this, this evening. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. A very familiar passage of Scripture as far as discipling one another or making disciples or the process, whatever you want to call it, of discipleship. And I want to look at four principles that are found here in Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm just going to read the first ten verses and then Go back and, and just share with you some thoughts on uh, these different verses through these four principles. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And that's Paul right into Timothy. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also, or that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with, every, with eternal glory. I'm just going to stop there. 
Uh, these four principles begin right here in the very first uh, verse of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And that is to be strong in grace. That's the first principle. To be a good discipler, you need to be strong in grace. And we're just going to briefly touch on this because you could talk about this for quite a long time. We need to be strong in grace. Paul knows that few things are more refreshing or are more life-changing than God's grace. You've experienced God's grace before. Amen? And there are a few things that are, that are more refreshing than that. God's grace breathes life into to relationships. God's grace breathes, breathes life into discipleship relationships as well. And Paul's encouragement here is to, to be strong. To be strong, as he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We're to be strong in that. That it actually, it literally means to be strengthened within. That's what he's talking about. We are to be strengthened within the grace that, that Christ gives us. Uh, in other words, let grace, be, let, let grace be reflected in your life. Let God's grace be reflected in your attitudes, in your mindset, in your lifestyle. It should be seasoned with grace. That's what a discipler needs to have. It needs to be strong, needs to be strengthened from within by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you've ever discipled someone and you've done it properly, I guess you would say, I don't really like that, I'm not sure what properly is, but if you ever discipled someone, you need grace. They need grace, you need grace. And you need to be strong in that grace. It needs to be your attitude. It needs to be reflected that way. You know, a, a practical application would be uh, to give disciples room to grow. Give them room to, to make mistakes. Give them room to, to understand or, 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 or at least help them through their failures. That's what a discipler needs to have. Because if you have someone who's fairly new in the Lord, they're going to make mistakes, are they not? And if you're going to be there with a club, this club, to beat them over the head with it, that's not showing God's grace. You work with them through that. You help them understand what God's word says. You have to have that attitude. You have to be strong in the grace of God. And you have to fight that urge to say, I just want to beat them. You have to not do that. They, they need to grow. They need to understand. That's what a discipler does. There's no greater, listen to this, there's no greater enemy to discipleship than legalism. And that's something else that you need to be careful of. Yeah, you know, when, when you're in a discipleship relationship, there's a, there's a certain amount of enthusiasm. There's a certain amount of excitement. There's a certain amount of... of, of, of uh, what do I want to say? A great a peace that you have. It, it's, it's exciting. It's, you're watching somebody mature. You're learning as well. You're growing as well, and it may be in a different way. It's just a, it's a great relationship to be in, and you don't want to stop that enthusiasm. You don't want to strangle that enthusiasm in a disciple, in a person that you're discipling, forcing a disciple to fulfill to the letter what you consider, what you consider to be vital Christianity, Maybe not necessarily the word of God. It may not be found in scripture. Legalism is, will, will strangle discipleship quicker than quick. It is, the, it is the enemy of true discipleship. And so we need to be very careful when we're, and that's why we need to 
to be strong in God's grace, we need to be very careful not to turn a discipleship time or relationship into a lot of petty personal demands that we have. You're not trying to create a little you. Okay? What you're trying to create is a disciple in Christ according to the word of God. Christ said his yoke was easy. And that's what we have to show them. Not legalistic. So we need to be strong in grace. Look at verse 2. This is the second principle. We need to be investing consistently in the lives of others. Verse 2 says this. Well, we'll read verse 1 again. When Paul says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here the word entrust means to commit, or at least to place or commit into, into a safe deposit. So that's what God is wanting us to do. That is what Paul is telling Timothy here. You need to put this, you need to deposit this life into somebody else. The idea here is to deposit God's truth into the life of someone else where it will be safe and where it will be secure. And that's why you're helping them. That's why you're discipling with them. A good example in Scripture is right here in this book where Paul entrusts God's word to Timothy. Okay? And all that he has learned, he entrusts that to Timothy. And he he knows it will be safe and he knows it will be secure. And now he wants Timothy to deposit it into the lives of several other people. And, and those disciples are deposited into the lives of others. And on and on and on it goes. They are reproducing. They are making disciples. Multiplying that transaction of discipleship. That's the plan. That's what God wants to see. That's what God commands us to do. Now, how do we get started doing something like that? How are we supposed to live? How's this, how, how do we put this into practice? Well, I have some suggestions, Okay. You won't find these in this passage of Scripture. They're just suggestions. God asks us to be sensitive, and we need to ask God to be sensitive. Be sensitive. Have a sensitive spirit for identifying someone to disciple. Be, be alert. Be on the lookout, if you will, for someone to disciple. Sometimes they may ask you because of something you've said or, or your lifestyle or something they you know, people may be watching you and say, I wonder, if, I wonder if he or she would be interested in maybe just meeting with me and discipling me. You need to be sensitive to those things. You need to have a sensitive spirit for identifying someone to disciple. Okay? This is the way not to do it. Well, I wouldn't think it's the way to do it. Walk up to somebody and say, you know, I know that you're, a, you know, you're pretty stupid in the things of the Lord, and I think I need to disciple you. You might get someone to say, you know what, that's a good idea. But most likely, that's not going to work that way. You need to be sensitive. You need to have a sensitive spirit for those things. Another thing, to be on the alert. Don't, here's the thing. Don't scratch anybody off your list. Stay open. Maybe it needs to be somebody you don't know very well, or maybe you don't know hardly at all. Don't take anybody off your list. Another thought is reach out slowly. Reach out informally to someone. Uh, an example is, you know, take them to lunch first. Take them to lunch or, 
or take them to a ball game or have tea with them or whatever it is you do. Drink that stuff, that coffee. Have a coffee with them. Something, something like that. Or better yet, find out what they enjoy and, and try that. Just be informal. Get to know them a little bit and uh, see where it goes from there. But I do have to tell you one thing about that. When you do meet with someone, before your time together is over, and this is just from experience, make specific plans to meet again. Because as any business person or, or, or a member of the business world will tell you, if you simply just say, hey, let's get together again, but you don't set a time, chances are you, it won't happen. Chances are you won't meet again. And so set a specific time to meet again. Those are just some suggestions on how to get started with something like this. Because that's what it's like. It's something you have to put into practice. It's an action we have to take. And we have to be aware of. What's it like to invest in others? What is it like to, to spend time with others? You know, it's a, that's a good question. Here in this uh, passage of Scripture, I'm sure there are many other answers, but Paul tells, tells us here there are four, four things or four verses uh, he uses here to help us understand what it's like to invest in others. And if you'll look with me in verse 3 and 4, he goes on to say, Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You know what it's like to invest in others? You know what it's like to be a discipler? A discipler is a soldier. And, and, and listen, this one I know well. Being, being in the military means giving up your own rights. It means, it means you don't get everything you want. A discipler must be willing to do the same thing, give up some of their rights. They may have to give up some of their recreation. They may have to give up some of their time, which you know you're going to. Selfish people make poor disciples. You can mark that down. They make very poor disciples. Being in the military means that your goals, it means your obligations are different from the majority of people. It will not be the same as civilians. It's no different with a disciple. It's the same way with a disciple. Their goals and their obligations will set them apart from the rest of the Christians who are not discipling. And it will sound strange to them. Just, it's just the way it is. A discipler is a soldier. Well, look at me in verse 5. A discipler is also an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Every athlete knows that winning takes discipline and being sold out to the task. A discipler is the same. A discipler knows, knows what it's like. A, a discipler are those who, committed, who are committed and disciplined to make good disciples. That's their heartbeat. That's their goal. That's their task. To make good disciples. To multiply. To reproduce. Also, a disciple is a farmer. Look in verse 6. Paul writes, It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Farmers' lives are full of hard, backbreaking work. And uh, but, but one of the benefits of, of, uh, of a farmer is that they enjoy the, the fruits of their labor. They enjoy the crops or the livestock that they raise. Disciples are, are also hard workers. Being a discipler is extremely hard work. And you may not think it is, but if you've never been in a discipleship program, it is hard work. It is, it is, a, it is a work that is very blessed. It is a work of great rewards, but it is still hard work. And that's the same as a farmer. 
you know, the benefits of being a discipler are often more rewarding than you can imagine. And the disciples are often blessed as much or more than the one being discipled. And so if you're a disciple, don't think it's just a one-way street. You'll learn so much. you learn about another person. you watch them grow. That's what it's like. That's, that's, that's what it's like to invest in others. And that's something we need to do. The third, the third principle is to personalize the truth, truths that, you have, that you've heard. And we find that in verse 7. Here Paul writes, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You know what he's talking about here. This phrase, think over, literally means to perceive in your mind or to see it in your mind or to see it a certain way. Paul's telling us here, and this is something that we ought to do, as we need to make a, a mental picture, if you will, of the things you've learned about discipleship. This is what you shouldn't do. Don't, don't think about how successful someone else has been Think about your own life. Don't compare yourself to other Christians or other people who are discipling. Think about your own life. Picture how you will actually start working with some individual. Picture it in your mind. Okay, perceive it in your mind what it would be like. Maybe it'll be a, maybe it'll be a married couple. Maybe it'll be a one-on-one -on -one situation. Maybe it'll be at the jail. Maybe it'll be at a retirement home. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll be at some club that you belong to. Maybe it'll be right here at First Baptist. Picture it in your mind. All these could be excellent places for starting up a discipleship ministry in your life. Do you, you see what Paul's talking about? You get the picture? Just do it. Picture it in your mind of how you want to go about this and what it might be like. And the last principle is be ready to endure all things. Look at verse 8. Paul writes, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The first fundamental to look at here in these verses is to always keep this, keep this in mind, because this is going to be something that's easy to stray away from when you're discipling one, 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 or someone. Always train your disciples to keep their eyes on Jesus, not you. It says right here in verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Always keep them, always keep them focused on Christ. If they get distracted from Christ by trying to be like you, they will completely miss the fellowship and the maturing only Christ can give. And so we need to remember that. Another fundamental is to endure. Verse 10, he says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they, may, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Folks, we need to, in a discipleship, to be a discipler, and in a discipleship relationship, you need to be willing to go the distance. Be prepared to have your patience stretched. That's what discipleship does. You know, because you may get in a discipleship relationship with someone and they don't do, you know, we're going to read, uh, you know, uh, have lunch and, hey, let's read this passage of Scripture. Let's take a look at this book that's answering these questions. And next time we meet, we'll just kind of go over them. And you meet a week later or two weeks later, whatever it is, and they say, oh, man, I forgot to read that. Now, your tendency to hit them in the head with a book is not a good one. What you have to do is you have to have patience. You have to endure. 
You have to, well, then that's read it now. You have to do something, but, but be willing to endure. And they may do it again and again, but yet they continue to meet. Maybe you need to change your tactic. Maybe you need to change the way in which you communicate. Whatever the case may be, you need to be able to endure. No one knows better than Paul how to endure. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked and more, and it could go on and on and on. And Paul quit, right? He just kept going. He kept reproducing. He kept making disciples. He was motivated by the purpose of enduring to the end. And as he says in verse 10, enduring everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Folks, we need to endure all things if we want to be a good disciple. Well, there are four principles we can use. As we close this out, I just want to ask some questions. How are we to live today as a disciple or discipler? Just like the word tells us, we are to be reproducing. We are to be making disciples. We are, getting, we are to be getting involved with others' growth and others' maturity and have others involved in our lives. We are to, we are to spiritually fruitful, we are, we are to be spiritually fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's what the word of God tells us until Jesus comes. That's how we are to live today, to be a disciple. Are you willing to do that? Are you thinking about it? I hope you are, because that's what God would want us to do. So let's bow our heads and we'll have a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful for your word. And Father, we know, we all know deep down inside that you want us to, to make disciples. We know that usually from the very beginning of our salvation. But Father, sometimes we just either think we're not able to, think we're not good enough, whatever the excuses may be. But that's not what your word tells us. We are to reproduce. We are to make disciples and then teach them to make disciples. And they're to teach them to make disciples. And that's how we're to live today. Help us, Father, to be that. Help us, Father, to do that. Help us, Father, to have the right attitudes for that. And we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.